catastrophic chase and shootout with deadly consequences has sparked a South Florida debate. Two violent career criminals began Thursday's rush hour catastrophe in a robbery shootout in Coral Gables. They carjacked the UPS driver for an hour-long cross-county chase and shooting at police along the way. They were cornered at a busy intersection in Miramar, setting off a complicated chain of events involving dozens of police officers from several jurisdictions. Those criminals fired, setting off a shootout that killed them and two innocent victims. And one of those victims was 27-year-old Frank Ordonez of Hialeah. The UPS, UPS driver was a father of two, a son, a brother, with his whole life in front of him. The other innocent victim was Richard Rick Cutshaw of Pembroke Pines, age 70. He was just trying to drive home after a day of, at work as a union representative. He was hit by bullets as he sat in his car. There is no doubt the two people most responsible for this horrendous incident were the perpetrators themselves, Lamar Alexander and Ronnie Hill, both of Miami, both career criminals with long rap sheets. They started this tragic chain of events and police ended it. But how they ended it is now in question. Could it have ended somehow without bloodshed? Did their actions cause the deaths of two innocent men? We want to talk all about this this morning with our guests. And first up with us, Joe Marino, who is Frank Ordonez's stepdad, who is speaking, has been speaking for his family, heartbroken, angry. Joe Marino right there joining us today from his home in Hialeah. Joe, it is... So good of you to join us. And again, our condolences to you and your family for, for what happened. You know, we, we spoke uh, Friday morning. It was the heat of the moment. You had some very harsh words. Uh, you are the rightful voice of all who are asking very tough questions. Um, the FBI has been with you and your family. Bring us today's perspective from you, you and your family, if you uh, would. First First of all, Glenna, you and Michael, good morning to you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, the family's devastated, and that's an understatement. Uh, we, the way we feel, we're in a bad dream that I know we're going to wake up and Frank's going to be home. And, but it's, it's starting to set in that it's now 72 hours, and uh, I think we're just about woken up from that dream, and, and Frank's not here. Uh, I, I, can't, I just can't console my wife. There, there's no words. There's, there's nothing I can do. That uh, She's a mother. I'm a father, but she's a mother. And um, the whole family, the girls, the brothers, they're, we're all devastated. And we all are asking ourselves questions. Uh, how can this happen in this day and age? With technology, with the training, uh, it's, it's, it's something that uh, we don't have answers to. And we're looking for answers. And, and that's why I'm speaking with both of you. Uh, uh, I'm not a police officer and I'm not an attorney. Uh, I'm the spokesperson for the family. I'm Frank's voice. And through you and Michael, I can get my message out. We want accountability. Uh, we, want, we want changes. We want, we want to know why wasn't the local police securing the area? Why didn't they wait for SWAT? Or what happened to the hostage negotiator? Where are the snipers uh, in these type of situations? It seems to me that they, they, it was a free-for-all. They were, I'm hearing from a reliable source, there were 6,000 bullets. The, the truck alone had, it was riddled with at least 60 to 70 bullet holes. As you can see the video, I knew, my, I knew he was dead. I, I, I wanted a, a last hope for my wife and daughters. 
because uh, we thought he was at the Joe DiMaggio uh, Trauma Center and he wasn't there. The, uh, I've got more information, Glenna and Michael, from the FBI. They've been so gracious. They, they met us at the hospital. They followed us home. They've been in contact with me ever since. And, and they're the ones that gave me more information. I understand they're in control now. Uh, but there's no answers here. I haven't heard from many of those police departments. They want to go on. They want to go on record. They want to go on TV and say that uh, I think the Metro director of uh, Metro Police. Uh, I think I heard him briefly say that uh, out of all the options, we're exhausted. This is the better option. That's the best we could do. Uh, that's shameful. Uh, for someone to declare that uh, is plain out uh, shameful. Uh, it's actually embarrassing. See, one of my problems is that. Those officers that, that went home that night to their spouses and they went home to their kids, um, they got to go home. Frank didn't get to go home. And I'm just wondering, uh, and this is just a thought that I was thinking about because I haven't slept in 48 hours. None of us have. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, I asked my wife, what if the, the, the tides were turned? What if it was an officer that was involved in the hostage? I'm sure it would have been handled differently and I'm sure that office would have been uh, alive today. Yeah. Uh, the, and, Joe, and I, I, I'm I using can, a strong word. I, I, yeah. Joey, it's Michael. Yes. If I could yes, Michael. jump in, we first of all, my personal condolences. Inconceivable to lose his son the way you and your family have. Uh, do you have confidence the FBI can do a thorough, full, fair investigation and come back with a report? And if some officers should be held accountable for Frank's death, that they will be? Absolutely, and I hope so. I think that now that the FBI has taken over, uh, there's some things that have been revealed to me that I, I'm, I'm sorry I can't discuss at this at this time because it's an open investigation. But uh, uh, there's many things that they they can identify, um, many things of the investigation. Yes, the way the FBI treated us that that same uh, Thursday night at, at, at the hospital, and then for them to dr uh, drive with us and follow us home and stay with us, and then the next morning, a couple hours later, I even asked. Uh, I don't want to reveal the name, but I, I said, I, I told the agent, I said, you guys, do you get any sleep? I said, I couldn't get any sleep. Uh, I said, neither did, neither did we. I said, I was so touched by your story. And uh, they've been here, they've been uh, assisting us, but what's disappointing, Michael and Glenna, is that I haven't heard from any of those five or six agencies that were involved in the chase and involved uh, in, in this tragedy. None, not even a phone call. And that, that says a lot, uh, Michael and Glenna. Uh, one of the things I, I mentioned to Glenna uh, yesterday was that I, I warned before I, I mentioned it, I said I'm going to use a, a real uh, strong word, Michael and Glenna, and, and, and Glenna, you were there, and I said, this is murder. This is murder. They, they could have stopped it. They, they could have prevented it. It could have been avoided. Uh, Frank was trying to escape. If you saw him crawling down the passenger side steps and he was trying to crawl down, he's had his hands wide open, like, like just to say that I'm unarmed. I think I'm interpreting that move that he was trying to, for cover underneath the truck. If they would have ceased fire for a few seconds, Frank would have made it under the, under the truck. He would have hidden for cover and then shoot the, the, the robber, which they ended up shooting them anyway. And by the way, I heard that uh, I saw you initially on your telecast that uh, one of them spent 10 years for armed robbery and the other one spent seven years for the armed robbery. They're on the street, Michael. Glenna, how is that possible? Joe, the, uh, when we are looking at the people you were talking to now, yes, these two men did serve prison terms. Uh, our understanding here is that their sentences ended and that's why they were released. But you bring up 
so many important questions that this community and everyone in it will be scrutinizing along with you in the coming days and weeks and months. We, um, we feel for you. We are here to support you. We thank you for being with us and we will be in touch and absolutely following to get the answers to all of those questions that you and your family are asking. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Joe, thank you. If, we if, appreciate I, if, it. I, if I may, if I. Yes. Thank you. Go ahead. You, you no, if absolutely. I may, I, I, oh, no, if I may, I just want to leave you both with one, with one word justice. And that's all we're seeking is justice. We want this to come out. I don't want this story to die off. I don't want it to be swept under the under the uh, rug. I want justice. And that's all we're asking for, Glenna and Michael. Is that too hard to ask? I, I, I don't think so. It is not. It and is we not. thank you for asking. Joe Marino, thank you so much. Now we want to get some professional perspective on that terrible shootout that happened late Thursday afternoon. For that, we go. Sorry. <laughs> well, we, for that, we have two experienced law enforcement professionals for some insights with us this morning. John Rivera is the former president of the Miami-Dade Police Union, the PBA, Police Benevolent Association. He's retired now, retired sergeant with Miami-Dade PD. Jason Pizzo is a state senator representing the 38th District Northeast, Miami-Dade. He's a former assistant state attorney with experience prosecuting major crimes and a member of the Senate Criminal Justice Committee as well. Really value your insights today. Thank you Good for being morning. here. Glad, Good glad morning. Glad to have you come in. All right. You both have seen the video. I've seen your comments on it. But John Rivera, let me ask you first, as an experienced police officer, head of the PBA, when you saw the video of the officers approaching that UPS truck at that intersection, uh, did they make a mistake in the way they approached that truck? You know, uh, Michael, for years I've been dealing with situations like this, and one thing that I've learned is not to judge, uh, prejudge. Uh, I think there, there has to be, a, the investigation has to be complete. I think now we have body cameras. Too early? See, I think it's too early. I think, and the thing that we need really the most is, is patience, which is hard to do. It's hard for the family to have patience. It's yeah. hard for the community to have patience. We have a lot of questions. You know, um, that is such a valid point. However, we all watched this happen from the beginning almost the news choppers were overhead and i think when a community civilians that do not know police work and and the facts that might be hidden to us now it is really difficult to to have seen frame by frame of what happened and not be able to really ask some i think valid questions about why did this happen and why couldn't another thing happened. So let's start with the chase. And if we have some video, maybe we can watch along as we talk about this hour long chase. Jason Pizzo, did this not give some time for law enforcement to decide a course of action? Glenn and Michael, to your point, and thanks for having me on. This is one case we're going to have to work backwards. The, what, what's been seen cannot be unseen. So the public is going to see a number of videos where there's a long extended chase with a lot less traffic in certain areas, both on exits and both on the highway. And what's been seen, as I said, cannot be unseen. Now, there are procedures and protocols as it relates to different departments, whether or not they can use what's called a pit maneuver that everybody knows mm -hmm. about, a pursuit of mobilization <laughs> technique. But yeah, just as a layperson watching this, you're gonna say right here, looking at this shot of the video, why didn't they box him out, get in front, hit the back? Uh, you're going to have all yeah. kinds of those questions. Yeah, John, what do you think? I mean, well, why didn't they use a, you know, nudge the truck from the yeah. rear in the back, maybe turn it around a little bit, stop it? I mean, that is a standard 
technique, I guess. It, it is standard in some departments. It is prohibited in the Miami-Dade Police really? Department. We don't practice it. We don't profess it. Nothing. We're not allowed to do it. Some hmm. departments are allowed. But also you have a situation when you say get in front of the truck, we know now that there's two armed suspects who have already indiscriminately shot throughout the whole mm -hmm. chase. The last thing you want to do is put a, a police officer in the front so that he himself becomes a victim as well. Or she. Or yeah. she. Or yeah. she. Um, so it, it's a difficult thing. Uh, look, there's a lot of questions, a lot of valid questions. Um, I have my own questions that none of you guys are even thinking about. Why is the FBI the lead on this case? Yeah, why are they? Why are they? Maybe that, because it's multi-jurisdictional? That, that has nothing to do with uh, it. Speaking yeah. of jurisdictions, you, you mentioned Miami-Dade police are not allowed to, to do those maneuvers. The chase started in Coral Gables, started in Miami-Dade, but crossed over to Broward. Why wasn't jurisdiction handed off to a either Miramar or uh, Pembroke Pines yeah. or Broward yeah. Sheriff's Jason, Office? You know, Why wasn't that handed off? Typically, we have what are called MOUs, a Memorandum of Understanding between departments. So back in 2012, there was an incident where a car was stolen from my house from one of my defendants. Uh, they used the car out in Miami Beach for an armed robbery. They were chased by Miami Beach police. They entered into the city of Miami, and I was living in Coral Gables. So all three departments were involved. But typically, there's a radio head. There's an understanding between Miami-Dade police as a whole throughout the 34 municipalities will have jurisdiction to be able to go in through cities. Uh, but yeah, those are one of the questions is, did Coral Gables radio head say we're in pursuit? Did Miami-Dade mm -hmm. say we're taking it over? Uh, and then, uh, obviously, to yeah. the FBI question. Yeah, Senator, uh, let's kind of focus for a minute on maybe the most uh, tenuous, dangerous moment uh, in this particular, this hour and a half long incident, which was when the police rushed the truck. It had been stopped at Miramar Parkway in Flamingo. Um, and there it was surrounded, if we show it here on the video, by all these civilian videos of civilian cars and the police officers take cover behind these civilians in their cars and put them at risk. I mean, that maybe that's a human reaction, but it just strikes me as, you know, the wrong thing to do. Michael, a couple months ago, sitting in the Senate, we were discussing and determining the fate of uh, the Broward Sheriff uh, based on the actions, the right. inaction and cowardice of a few deputies who did not engage. Right. Here, if we're just standing alone, taking the intersection, the police officers themselves, the men and women, are being incredibly brave by going into the fire. Yes, they the are. issue, of course, is they're not standing behind unoccupied blocks of, or walls or containers. There are women and men and children inside of these cars that are trying to get out of the way. And you have to presume that when they're firing, they're also drawing fire in return right. and doing so. And, and that, that, that's what jumps out at you, regardless of whether or not you have 30 years law enforcement experience or you're watching as a 10-year-old, you're seeing why are occupied vehicles being used for cover. You know, we, uh, the time factor, it, I want to go back to that if I can, John Rivera. Joe Marino, uh, Frank Ordonez's stepdad, brought up two questions that I thought were, were really interesting. Where was SWAT? Where was the sharpshooter? In the heat of the moment, of course, they're not there. But, but this played out over the course of an hour. And, and so why wasn't a decision made to prepare one of those, to get a, a, a SWAT or a sharpshooter in, in place or be part of the, the uh, contingent of police officers following this so that they were in place to be able to have a more, I don't know, directed shot? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, uh, I don't know what decisions were made. I wasn't privy to the, to the radio transmissions. But even if you were preparing, you have to remember that a, a sharpshooter, or sniper as we call them, uh, they have 
to have time to set up. This unfolded uh, at that <clears throat> moment in time, in, in seconds. A sniper would have never been able to, to set up that quickly, uh, or SWAT for that matter. SWAT generally, generally speaking, uh, goes to a scene that's already been contained somehow. Oh. Mm -hmm. Then they have a, a, a plan yeah, and action. This was and a developing crime this was scene. A, right. And the other thing that's very important, which the senator alluded to, this was an active shooting scene. This was yeah. an active shooter. Mm -hmm. It was just a moving active shooter. 22 months ago, we were criticizing police for not doing anything. Jason's now, point. today, the, yeah. the, the discussion is we did too much. And so we have to do it. The other thing, if I may, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I have found out in all these cases is that there's a lot of misinformation because that's what we think we saw. Uh, depending on what lens you look through. Of course. Uh, but yeah. you all made reference to civilian vehicles. Now, I saw what you saw, and I thought the same thing. But I, I then saw a video that I was able to slow down, and I'm not so sure that those two SUVs that you all are talking about are civilian vehicles. Well, I, as a matter of fact, <coughs> one of the innocent people in this case who died was a driver sitting that was towards in the front civilian. they weren't they weren't yeah. hiding behind that car true yeah right. and i and i will say in the last few days in in our news capacity we've had an opportunity to really watch this frame by horrible frame it, it appears to me at the intersection that the first shots fired were inside from inside the ups the criminal shooting out was it the duty of of police to fire back was is there any part of training or protocol that that would have allowed them to hold their fire? So a couple of things that, to John's point about misconception, the Miami-Dade Police Guard, and I've taken ride-alongs and spent hundreds of hours, as you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours at the Miami-Dade Police Department at, at Northside Station all over the county. I do ride-alongs as well. But police patrol cars are not bulletproof, not even bullet resistant. They don't have uh, sheets in the door, not, not in the glass. Otherwise, you would assume they would all have converged on and kept and kept safe around there. That, that's news to me, I have to say. They I, don't, are, they I didn't are know not, that. They are not yeah. bulletproof. They don't even have a plate in the door to, uh, to protect them. So someone's SUV is just as, just as resistant as, as a patrol car. However, uh, Joe Marino is wondering you know, and hoping and wishing that the UPS truck had just been allowed to, to keep on going without engaging, right? Mr. Cutshaw's family standing at the intersection is hoping that there was no engagement whatsoever. Be very mindful to know that if this all came just to the intersection, the cops did what the cops did. Okay, the police did what the police did. But it's leading up to that point now. The doors swung open even for the long chase. It appears to be that there is an exchange of fire even mm -hmm. going on on the highway. Mm -hmm. And the, the Miami-Dade police director actually and, uh, confirms that that is on the case. I-75. Right, yeah. and, the, and the inception of, of, of exchange of fire did not just first occur at the intersection. Right. But again. Started at the Coral Gables Jewelry Store. Had the UPS truck been, been allowed to go, and continue without coming to that stop, I don't know that that rampant gunfire exchange continues to happen and puts others you know, at risk. It's very easy to second guess. It's yeah. just any situation which does not involve being near or near innocent civilians, which there appeared to be ample time beforehand. Would we have second guessed if they did a pit maneuver, if they blocked the truck, yeah. if they knocked it off the road? Absolutely. But yeah. um, I, I think we, there would have been more forgiveness uh, leading up to it. And I think this is an excellent opportunity, a sad but tragic opportunity as an impetus to compel us to take a hard look yeah. at how we're going to handle these situations. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mayor Carlos Jimenez said exactly that to me on Friday. We are going to take a hard look, but it's going to be months before this investigation is finished. John Rivera, Absolutely. my friend, great to have you thank come you. in. Senator Jason Pizzo, thank Thanks you so very much. much. What a week it has been for news here in South Florida, the violent shootout between police and those career criminals. Another visit by President Trump. 
So much to break down with our Powerhouse Roundtable, and we have a great one for you today. Ed Pazwoli is the president of the Trip Scott Law Firm in Fort Lauderdale and past chair of the Republican Party of Broward County. Melba Pearson is the deputy director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Florida and a former prosecutor with the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office. Stephen Johnson chairs Miami-Dade's Miami-Dade County's Black Affairs Advisory Board. He is an attorney with the Lidecker Diaz firm. Good morning, everybody. Thanks Hi, everybody. We are so, so glad that you are here. I sort of want to get you all to weigh in. I think, Ed, you just said as we were coming on here that not since the shootout at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas has our community been shaken to the core by such a violent incident. And, and I think we don't want to be a Monday morning quarterbacks, but you got to, You see this video and you ask, I think there are legitimate questions to ask, are there not? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you had uh, the, the father on him. Mean, it was sad, sad, yeah. and, and hearts go, go to him. But on the other hand, there are a lot of questions. And, I, be, and before we jump to conclusions to assess blame, because we seem to try to jump to that, I think you've got to let the facts kind of spill out as they come out and as they're investigated. I think that's in fairness to the police officer involved and, and everybody involved. I think yeah. you really got to be careful about yeah. jumping to conclusions. The, uh, right. the community reacted emotionally, as can be expected. But, but I think, you know, what, what our job is as, as news people is to take a, an objective, harsh, clarified look, and that's what we're trying to do. But in, interesting point in that, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and this incident, slaughter of innocence is what really captures the attention, but the police response was so different. And you got to think about it, right? We, we, we criticized the police response in uh, the MSD shooting, and now we're on the verge of yet again criticizing a police response. I'm going to say this, though. Until we know from the FDLE investigation uh, whether or not anyone did anything wrong, until we know who was in command and control of that scene, until we know whether or not there was a breakdown in command and mm -hmm. control, and I don't know that there was, but until we know that, it's hard to criticize police officers for doing two things, engaging bad guys and staying alive while doing it, right? Armed we, bad guys. We, we yeah. want them to, we want, in, in the middle of a kidnapping, so we got to remember what the crimes were here. We, we had a kidnapping. A we had a robbery, shootout in shootout. Coral Gables. Mm -hmm. We had shootouts on the roadways the whole way. And now we're there in an intersection, and they're still shooting. Yeah. Right. So, so telling police officers or expecting police officers to somehow become bulletproof supermen is insane. And the bravery seen by some of those officers yeah. standing there engaging, trying to at least get in there and save a life, we have to, for a moment, commend it. Now, we should go back and criticize. We should go back and at least review it. Yeah. We should of review course. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Way in here, Melba. Well, so first of all, you know, my heart goes out to the families involved because, you know, we're, we're weeks away from the holidays, Christmas, right. Kwanzaa, you know, um, you know, Hanukkah, and now they're laying their loved ones to rest. And there's children involved who are not going to be able to see their loved ones. So I want to keep them primary focused on this. But the father is not wrong in wanting to, to have answers, as we all mm -hmm. want answers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the FBI and the FDLE investigation will reveal more, and we'll learn more about the protocols that were involved or were followed or not followed. But I do have a lot of questions with regards to if there was any opportunity to 
escalate mm -hmm. the situation? Could spike strips have been used? I mean, we have so much technology. Could could that have played a factor and saved lives? Yeah. And again, when you look at that crowded intersection and people are literally just trying to get home mm -hmm. and suddenly there's bullets flying your way, yeah. I mean, that, that whole fact of the matter that the civilians were placed in danger, granted, no question, the people who perpetrated this crime mm -hmm. set the wheels in motion. Yeah. But it is on the police to make sure to contain the situation and keep people safe in the process. But we will know once we get the medical mm -hmm. examiner's report and see yeah. which bullet killed who and, and all of that. But so I want, we'll, I, I want we'll to, see. I want to emphasize, I want to give the police at least the benefit of the doubt because they did engage. The question is when whether other opportunities mm -hmm. to engage right. and did they engage appropriately. Yeah. That's something I think facts will come out later on. Exactly. But I don't want, I don't, the laying blame, and I understand completely where the family is, and I would feel the same emotion. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but in, in a, as a public policy standpoint, we want our police to engage and protect us from bad people. I've often mm -hmm. said that when, when the average American sees policing and what that is, sometimes they're not going to like what they see. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to retired Chief Oates and other police officers to find out, w was there anything broken here? And in and of itself, bad oh, on, guys... On this account? On this have? account, yeah. yes. Bad guys shooting changes the paradigm, mm -hmm. right? Because at that point, you're a risk to the general public, you're a risk to the other officers. You're, that's a different animal than, yeah. you know, a, a, a jewelry high school. Yeah, wrong. these guys set the tone. The minute they walked into the jewelry Agreed. store on Miracle Mile, fired, and the thank God the clerk, the woman who was there, was grazed in the forehead, but she could have been killed Agreed. as well. And then the shootout with the owner and the manager. Um, I mean, the the tone of this was set immediately, and it only escalated as it went further into Broward County. And and let's not forget that that. Uh, in addition to Franco Donas, there was yet another bystander, and and that's yeah, the Rick part Kitchen. with Kimshaw, yeah. and and that's the part that we 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 want to remember. We do want to remember those two people who yes. who died for no right. reason, for no reason, no, no reason, reason whatsoever, and their families. I want to was um, the director of the Miami Dade Police Department, Juan Perez, came forward Friday morning, uh, talked really for a, a while answered questions about training and policy. He was unflinching in his support for his people. Let, let's take a listen to a little yeah. clip of what the director had to say. They dictated this, not law enforcement. We train and we practice and we have practices in place for all types of situations. But unfortunately, training is a simulated situation and the, the subjects sometimes they don't dictate as we want them to. So they take actions outside of how we train. And circumstances sometimes aren't the ideal circumstances. Where that vehicle came to a stop, we didn't choose that location. So I'm hearing, Ed, you know, training as great and thorough as it may be, and as often as it may be, can't ever come close to what might happen in real life. Let me take the corollary to that. Uh, what he's saying is he does not want his officers hesitating yeah. in a in a in a real life you know it's not a training situation anymore where we can do it over and try it again. Right. No, no, this is real life and he does not want his officers second guessing themselves and causing them to hesitate because yeah. that that will, that will cause further danger. But at the same token 
I still have to caution, yeah, okay, maybe not hesitate, but you also can't have a knee-jerk reaction because we have a situation where we have literally hundreds of rounds because you have, you know, eight to ten officers emptying yeah. their clip into a situation, and again, an innocent bystander was killed. So all due respect to the director, I'm not saying that the, the, there was a problem with the training or anything like that, yeah. but I still have the question whether or not this can be what it could have been brought to a conclusion sooner in a more deserted area as opposed to the middle of rush hour traffic. In my talks with, again, in, in, in trying to speak with, with other uh, others in law enforcement, this is one of those situations that they may not have particularly trained for, a shootout on a high-speed chase. Well, that's a problem. In rush <laughs> yeah. No, no, but, but let's think about it's this. True. Because in rush hour, where you, where's the chase going, right? Mm -hmm. I that, can't that's get why from it stopped one where it stopped. Exactly. exactly right. So, so this might not have been a specific scenario that they that they have trained extensively for. You had mentioned uh, as we were breaking away that Mr. Marino, whom we heard from earlier, distraught, grieving over the loss of his son, said he has never heard from any of the police agencies involved, only from the FBI, and no FBI agent fired a, a weapon at that scene. Should some agency, should Miami-Dade Police or Miramar, should they go to him and say, we're so sorry for the loss of your son? From a human standpoint, the answer is absolutely they should. Legally, I understand there may be some restrictions, but the bottom line is that they should because some of the communication, some of the frustration that's built up by the victim's family, and rightfully so, is the lack of empathy that appears to yeah. be coming out of the, out of but, the, out of the agencies. And, and Stephen's going to, yeah. Say, but these agencies, and, and again, we represent many of them, these agencies don't have an opportunity to come out. A lot of times they don't know what's happened. The officer's bill of rights prevents you from really getting full stories right away often, um, particularly in shooting circumstances. Uh, if you want those those warm and fuzzy moments, then we're going to need to change some laws. I'm all for well, making on, changes to the Bill on. of Rights. I'm no, just telling you. No one's you. asking to script or get around some litigious. All somebody is asking for, this man is, any of us would want, was someone to even come forward and sincerely say, uh, I'm prevented legally from saying a lot. I want you to know as a parent, I feel for you and your family my yeah. condolences. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, litigious? A little human compassion. I have no doubt I have no doubt it, it it'd be crushing to for anything to happen to any of my children. I'll be honest. If someone said if someone gave me something like I can't tell you anything but I know how you feel, I wouldn't want to hear from you anyway. Yeah. Let's be honest mm -hmm. here. At that moment, unless you're gonna tell me everything that happened, don't tell me anything. The emotions are too wrong. Yeah, I do want to say on behalf of Miami-Dade Police Director Juan Perez, whom I have a lot of respect for, mm -hmm. that the day that Joe Marino said, my son was murdered, he very calmly and with feeling said, I understand, I'm a father. Yeah. If it were my son, I might be saying this too. And I mean, he did not in any way criticize Mr. Marino. Right. Which, yeah, that definitely was a, a good idea and definitely is very sensitive on the director's part. But I think that still doesn't take away the fact that you have a victim's family left without answers. And I think, and I understand the legal perspective as a former prosecutor, mm -hmm. I get it. But at the same token, there's a way to at least, you know, say, I'm sorry that this happened. We are have an ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. We're going to do everything we can to get to the bottom of this and give you answers in a timely manner 
Center. By the way, here are some victim services. Here's a victim advocate who at least can direct you for grief counseling or something to at least show that you care and that you are taking the situation seriously. Right. Not saying they're not. But to communicate that to the victim's family, which which is huge, which is yeah. huge, and being there free. and being available for that family yeah. right. is simply the statement you need to make. Yes, and, absolutely. And right. Most right. departments have what's known as victims' advocates or victim right. services advocates, which yeah. is when an you were at the state attorney's yeah. office, that was part of your responsibility. Absolutely. absolutely, we had victim advocates who would be with the family. Everything from the time of we're investigating, we're about to file, all the way till trial, right. you had somebody who you can call and say, what's going on with the case? Maybe right. you couldn't get a hold of the attorney, <coughs> but you got some answers and were right. able to, you know, help move forward, help you move forward a little bit. You know, the, the director even coming forward, because it's an FBI case now, legally, mm -hmm. the, the director coming forward Friday, instead of saying to reporters, no, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking, I thought was showed a lot of leadership. I did. Was that a was that a protocol breach of any sort? No, yes. and in fact, in in these sorts of public uh, uh, controversies and matters, the transparency shown by a department or a department head goes a long way in making sure that the the public feels informed. Again, we're, we were talking about the same thing that the family wants to know. What's going on? Where are we? I remember North Miami actually led the way in its transparency during the Kinsey shooting, mm -hmm. where they put every document yes. online, right. including yeah. the FDLE yeah. investigation. Yeah. And I'd like to see more organizations and more municipalities Absolutely. do these types of things. Absolutely, because transparency is key in building that relationship with the community yeah. and diffusing some of these situations from getting out of hand. I right. watched. I watched the statements. I thought the director's statements were very, very appropriate mm -hmm. and, and very well measured, and really focusing on the tragedy, focusing on the victims, focusing on some of the protocol, whatever he could provide. I thought they were really quite uh, showed great leadership. To your point, let's move forward yeah. and talk a little bit about uh, the visit to South Florida last night by President Trump. He first went to Turnberry Island, Aventura, mm -hmm. my hometown. And Ed, I know you were there for at least part of that event. And the, the state, the Republican Party of Florida says a thousand people raised three and a half million, million dollars. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a big number. Quite a success. Quite a success. And uh, honestly, a very enthusiastic group. I mean, the president was there. You had a governor who was there. You had the cabinet that was there. Leadership was there. You had a great, a, a great event. You know, but I have to say, as far as I can tell, since this statesman's dinner, as it was called, was a complete disaster about a month ago. It was only because Ron DeSantis got involved, called his friend the president and said, you got to come and be our headliner, that it really came together. My experience with these kind of dinners is they're a disaster until, they, until they're, <laughs> until they're not. Story. You know, until, you get, until you get a, a great speaker or until you get a great headliner. Yeah. And frankly, the governor could have been the headliner. We could have raised three and a half million dollars alone. Oh, but the president, the president brought a, a, a tremendous amount of yeah. enthusiasm. And, and much more low-key than his appearance a couple well, of weeks ago at the BBT. If you take everyone's phone, at the yeah. door oh, yep. and make sure that no one can say anything <laughs> except positive things, 
especially when you're having two accused and or convicted war criminals on the stage with you. Um, yeah, a lot, wow. a lot can, oh, that happened. <laughs> so so, so yeah. everyone's phone was taken for a reason. Right. No, that happened. Were you there? Um, I, I've got friends and, oh, okay. and I, I even have friends on that side of the aisle. Did they send you contraband uh, sale video? Uh, I, I wish, again, <laughs> you know. You know, there's a comedian who uh, did that and everybody uh, gave him a hard time on Twitter. Now our president does this just for, for, for a local Republican Dinner. I've never seen this in my life. I've been to a bunch of Democratic dinners. We we never had to give a little. Yeah, but you, what do you have? Three people show up. Oh, oh, wrong, it, 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 wrong, here wrong, we go. Now, so, I mean, that started with the Romney. Remember the Mitt Romney yeah, cell yeah, 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 yeah. phone? Right, right. Well, well, yeah, that might what, what I said right earlier right. was, look, if Obama had brought Suge Knight onto the stage and everybody clapped and gave them a hero's welcome, it would never leave the news cycle. But our president brings. Uh, and, uh, no matter how you feel about it, people who admitted to murdering people but onto the stage and Navy they got a hero's seal? welcome. He had the, the Navy SEAL with him last he, night? He had two. He had the two he just pardoned. One was the lieutenant who was, uh, yeah. who, who was convicted of ordering two motorcyclists shot. Right. The other In one... Iraq. The other one was a guy who said, hey, I don't know what happened until he got on Fox News a little bit a while later yeah. and said, hey, did you kill him? Oh, yeah, I killed him. That's not necessarily what I expect from my president when being presidential or when raising money. I, I wonder about that. Right, Are, and then you have the transparency aspect as well because now you have, you know, the all of the Florida you know, leadership from the governor and the cabinet and everyone there. I'm very curious to know what was discussed. Was it just purely, you know, okay, let's raise oh, yeah, money or where we're talking I, about? I wish there was a camera on Ed's face. Ed, what really happened? Ed, what happened? I would say it this way. You know, <laughs> you know here's the thing. You got a president who who was at BB&T, and you all were there. Yes, um, we were. And, and it was great entertainment. Uh, you saw the excitement in the, in the arena. Uh, this was a tremendous success, three and a half million dollars. The previous event he went to when he went to meet with Jewish leaders uh, with respect to uh, what great support uh, he's been uh, to Israel. Uh, this is a president who, like it or not, uh, is is busy. And is doing all the right things in my mm -hmm. mind to make make look and look. This is, and and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And about to be impeached too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can I just can I, before we run out of time? We, we, right. we, we are we are out of time. But <laughs> I just want to go on record as saying Suge Knight would absolutely lead our newscast. Just saying. Go ahead. This much I know. Thank you, everybody. Great to have you come in.